Hi folks. Hi again. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to transform lives by studying the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. In other words, making the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily lives. Whether you're here for the very first time or you've been here for nearly 500 episodes now, you are very welcome. And if you are here for the first time, then why not subscribe and that way you'll never miss another single episode. You can also, if you wish, choose to go back and start at the beginning and complete this journey. Like everyone, you don't have to do it at our pace, you can do it at your own pace for however long it takes. But thank you so much for being here and what we'll do as we'll always do is we'll just continue now by dropping back into the text where we are in season three. We're over a hundred episodes into the Gospel of Matthew now and we'll pick up where we left off last time at Matthew chapter 15 verse 32. Okay, today's episode is called The Feeding of the 4,000, or was it the 5,000? Which is it? And today the text we're going to be covering is picking up at Matthew chapter 15, 32. But just before we read the actual text itself, I'd like to ask you all a question, which is, have you ever forgotten something important? In fact, just this week, I myself forgot a meeting I had with my accountant. It feels to me like almost every day I forget where I last put my car keys. I really should have a single place where I leave them all the time. I wonder if any of you have posted a letter and forgot to put a stamp on it. I actually know someone, uh, a friend, who had an appointment at the memory clinic and he forgot to go. And I'm sure we've all heard stories about people who leave their children at the shopping centre. They get in the car in the car park or worse still, they get home and they realise they've forgotten one. Some of you, particularly in the UK, may remember about 10 years ago, I would guess, when the then Prime Minister, David Cameron, was reported as going for Sunday lunch to his local pub with his family and he actually left one of his children behind. The pub rang him at home and his security team had to go back and collect the child. But you know what? That just tells me that we all forget things and we can forget things that are very important. But also, what I want to draw attention to the fact is sometimes we forget really important spiritual things. In fact, we also have a tendency to forget even vital spiritual truths that we really should remember. And the fact that we don't remember them or we don't remember the lessons that they taught us can be detrimental to our spiritual lives. What surprises me about myself, as well as others, is not just that I forget, it's how soon I will sometimes forget something that I've learned that's really important. What would it take for us to remember the stuff we're supposed to remember spiritually? I sometimes wonder that if even Jesus were to do something dramatic or miraculous even in our lives, would we even forget that? Well, I'm afraid to say that human nature And the Bible stories tell me that we actually might just do that. So let me tell you a story today in the Bible that illustrates this point perfectly, I says. And let's see what we can learn from about it by studying and asking not just what the miracle means, 
but what the Bible tells us about how soon we potentially might forget something. So I'm going to read this text. We'll read it in its entirety today, and then we'll consider it together verse by verse over one or two days. So I'm going to first of all read for you Matthew chapter 15, 32 to 39. And it says this, Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me for three days and they've had nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a multitude? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven, and a little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the multitude. So they all ate, and they were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Now those who ate were four thousand men, besides the women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. So we've been going through this Gospel of Matthew, and we've come upon the story, and I believe that this just underscores our forgetfulness, sometimes in a way that is detrimental to our spiritual life. This is the story of the feeding of the 4,000. A common mistake that many make concerning this passage is that everybody knows and remembers the feeding of the 5,000, but many people don't remember or don't even notice the feeding of the 4,000 as a separate event. And when they look at it, they ask, well, are they the same event? And if, if they're not, then how did they get in here and why? And what is the difference anyway? As a matter of fact, that question has baffled many, some to the point that they are willing to say that there are not indeed two different miracles, there is only one, and that they got mixed up in the minds of the Gospel writers. But let me say that I believe that that is absolutely not the case. These are two clearly distinct miracles, one where 5,000 people were fed, and 4,000 were the other. And if you look at the details and the differences between the two, you will particularly see that they are different, for none less than one is described as happening in Galilee, and the other happens in the region called Decapolis. One also was the feeding of the Jews, and there were five loaves and two fishes. And in this other case, there are seven loaves and just a few fish mentioned, and this time it involves the feeding of a Gentile crowd. Another big difference in the feeding of the 5,000 is it says they have leftovers and that they're put in 12 baskets. But in the feeding of the 4,000, it also says they, but they're described as large baskets in our translations of leftovers. But what I'm pointing out is these are two very different Greek words used for baskets. I'll explain that in more detail later. But the clincher is this. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus himself clearly says that these were two different events. Interesting to me, from a psychological point, I've noticed that people tend to remember and know about the bigger one, and they forget about the secondary one. Not quite so big, big and miraculous in itself, but not so big as the first one. So there are two, two different and distinct miracles, but the overlooking of the second miracle have caused some church historians to actually nickname this miracle the Forgotten Miracle. 
I've even read commentaries where a, a detailed amount of information is given about the feeding of the 5,000 and what it means. But when it comes to the 4,000, it just says, almost literally says, there's nothing new to learn from this event. Just look at the previous one. But that is not true and not correct. So why is this story here and what is it really trying to teach us and what's different about what it teaches us today and what we learned a few weeks ago when we looked at the other. Well, let's look again at the story in more detail as we do and follow our usual pattern, which is to go through it verse by verse. And let me start again with reading verse 32, the opening verse again, which tells us now Jesus called his disciples to himself and says, I have compassion on this crowd because they have continued with me for three days and have nothing to eat. Also, I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way, or lest they collapse on the way, as some translations describe it. Now, as will already be clear to those who've been with me for a long time, we're going through Matthew together, and we've reached chapter 15. And in this chapter, he soundly arrives in this Gentile area called the Decapolis, and he starts healing people there. But he's been on this hillside for at least a two full days, certainly three nights, and clearly the food is beginning to run out. And Jesus says, I have compassion on these people because they've been following me and been with us now for three days. He's been healing these sick people and caring for these sick people, but the crowd are beginning to become tired and hungry. So he says he has compassion on the crowd because they've been in this situation now, out in the outdoors, for at least three days. And he quite simply worries about sending them home because they might have not have enough strength to make it home. So I feel right away at the end of verse first we need to pause here and uh, make a couple of observations. Firstly, clearly Jesus has compassion on people and that immediately tells me that we should do the same. Somebody has said, and I quote, many people think they are compassionate about people's situation but are they really? Some have feelings of sympathy, yes, but some tell themselves that the poor are largely to blame for their condition. Others get teary-eyed when confronted with the needy or distressful situations, and all they seem to do is piously promise to pray about it or something like that. But here the Lord Jesus gives us the perfect example of a genuine compassion for people. He felt deeply for these outcast and afflicted people, as they're described earlier, but he took action to do something to help them. And I think if you look at history, it tells us that some of the most courageous Christians did nothing else than dare to follow the example of Jesus. If we think about this today, some people, when experiencing challenging antisocial behaviour in their neighbourhood, instead of complaining about it or become fearful, they do something like start a youth club. If you think about William Wilberforce here in the UK, yes, he took pity on the slaves, like many Christians did at the time, but he took political action also, and he was instrumental in having the slave trade abolished. Even the famous British nurse Florence Nightingale, she was moved by the suffering of the wounded soldiers she saw returning from the battlefield, and greatly distressed at the numbers that were being lost and dying from minor injuries, that she made the decision to go out there and to work as a nurse and to care for them. 
and to study intensely the reasons why people might be dying after injury from minor injuries and her research and her statistical planning brought about a radical change to the way in which people were cared for in hygienic conditions post-injury. So her compassion led to practical positive action. And Jesus is compassionate here, and that's simply telling me in that opening verse that we too should be like him in the outworking of our Christian faith. So this is telling us the very basic thing, that Jesus showed compassion, and therefore we should be compassionate also. But there's a second observation I want to make and pull out of this first verse, is the fact that because we know and recognise that if we know and recognise that this was the second of a very similar type of miracle, that Jesus here must be actually testing them. Does this story not sound familiar to us? It should have to them also. I mean, didn't they all just go through a similar situation to this a few months back? A few chapters ago, we saw Jesus feed 5,000. You may remember that story as we covered it. I'm sure you've heard of that. It is by far the most famous As a matter of fact, that story says that Jesus taught late into the evening and the disciples came to him and said they were in a remote area and we have to dismiss the crowd because there's no food. So they said that the teaching would have to stop because of the lack of food. And in that story, Jesus said, feed them. And they said, how can we do that? So I wonder if you can remember what he did. I suggested at that point, I'm suggesting that that was the point at which the Lord told them to do something on the surface seen beyond their ability. In other words, he said, just trust him for the ability and go out there and do it. You know, gather up what was given and he will give you the grace and the power for this event to happen. And he will give you not only the ability to do it, but also the lesson to be learned is anything else that he tells you to do, that you will be able to do it. You know, that's a foundational teaching of the word of God. But now, just a little while later, they come to a crowd of 4,000 and Jesus says to them, yeah, I have compassion on these people. These people have been with, with us here for three days and they haven't had anything to eat. And I don't want to send them away hungry because in this situation, they are a great distance from their homes. In fact, they're up, probably up in the hillside somewhere and he doesn't want any of them to become so weak that they faint or collapse on the way home. So this is the situation and it's being repeated. But what is his point? What is Jesus doing? Jesus, I believe, is giving them a lesson on compassion. Yes. But also I believe that this second similar miracle is an attempt to see, a test if you like, to see if they have learned what they needed to learn from the last time, the last situation where something like this happens. Jesus is saying, is implying, if you like, I taught you when we fed the 5,000 something important. You've seen me do these amazing things like that, like calming the storm immediately after that. And now you come to me saying the crowd is hungry. Did you get the message the first time? Well, let's look and see how they respond and look at verse 33. And the disciples reply and say to him, Where should we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? So did they pass the test? Absolutely not. They'd forgotten. They'd forgotten already. 
the first thing they think about is, in terms of their response, is what they can do, their own resources. How is this possible? How are we going to do that? And their answer to those questions they ask themselves is, well, this is the wilderness. We can't do anything. And the particular word that is translated desert or wilderness just means it's a deserted place. Also, we can note that previously in the feeding of the 5,000, we are told the crowd were sitting on the grass. In this passage, it says they sat on the ground, indicating that this was a different season. It was probably hot summer and the grass was burned, or they were so far up the hillside in the higher altitude there was less vegetation and they were just sitting on hardened ground and rocks. So from that situation, there's clearly no place that these disciples can go to and find food quickly. The people who calculate these things tell me that at the beginning of the 5,000, it must have been in spring, which is why those events and some of the pictures in it are connected with the Passover and that they were sitting in the grass. But this miracle is happening later in the summer because, as I've mentioned already, they're sitting on the ground. One commentator I read estimates that the difference between the two events was probably five or six months. So just think about that for a second. Just six months ago, just six months prior to this, they had experienced, witnessed this phenomenal supernatural miracle of the feeding of 5,000 people. And a little under six months later, they are confronted with almost exactly the same situation and they've forgotten what Jesus has done. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever do that sort of thing? I'm going to confess I've done that and I've done it sadly more than once. For example, sometimes when I get into a real tight spot in my life, boy, have I prayed like crazy and the Lord has answered my prayer. And you know what? I soon forget about it and move on. And then a few months later, an almost identical situation comes up and I get worried and get uptight and get stressful and worry again. And yet there's no difference between the two situations and God answered the first time. So why am I worrying about the second? Did God cease to exist in the months between those two events? Did God die perhaps? Of course not. But that is sort of what's going on here. It's incredible that they not only forgot what God had done previously in a similar situation, but they had forgotten so soon. So what's really going on in this passage is, yes, the teaching of the miracle and what it means itself, but also the fact that Jesus is giving them a chest. And all they can do is think about how they might respond to the situation by thinking about their own abilities and resources. Okay, let's continue with the story and see what happens next. And Jesus feeds the 4,000, so let's look briefly and see what is the difference in how it's done this time. Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven, plus a few fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples, and his disciples gave them to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Now those who ate were four thousand men, besides the women and children. Now you may remember in the feeding of the five thousand that there were twelve baskets, leftovers, 
and almost everyone concludes that that was something to do with teaching about the fact that there were 12 apostles and it says he, he gave them to them. In other words, in a sense, he was giving them a little souvenir each. He was sending them home with a doggy bag, so to speak. Something to take home, a reminder, something that they would be able to feed upon for the next day or two as a reminder of what he did and how he met their needs that day in order that that would be an aid memoir so that they wouldn't perhaps forget it in the future. But I really want to impress in your mind that the Greek word that is used for the feeding of the 5,000 describes a little bag, something like a lunch pack, but in the feeding of the 4,000, the word used describes a much larger basket. In our translation, it just talks about large baskets. But one authority I read says that the word used for this basket was much more like a large hamper. So what's going on here? What is the difference? What does that mean? What is the message that Jesus is trying to send them and by nature us reading it today? Well, I'll try and reach some conclusions when we look at that next time. Okay, that's interesting, isn't it? And we'll try and unpack and conclude this miraculous feeding of the 4,000 next time. Now, I said at the beginning, you're very welcome whether you're here for the first time or you've been here for nearly 500 episodes now. And although this podcast is uploaded, a new episode, five days a week, Monday to Friday, because of the nature of the podcast format you are able to follow along at whatever pace is comfortable for you the important thing is to make the commitment to work with us together in community through the entire bible chapter by chapter verse by verse because that will transform your lives and you're not alone in doing this do you know that we have well well over 200,000 daily downloads of this podcast in over 160 countries all around the world so welcome if you're here for one of the first times to this podcast. And what I would ask you to do is not only subscribe to it so you don't miss another single episode, but maybe you make the decision, if you're finding it helpful, to like it or share it with other people so that they may too may have the opportunity to have their lives impacted by the study of the Bible. That is the very best way we can ensure that more and more people have the opportunity to bring the life-changing power and the study of the Word of God into their lives. Now, if you're listening to this, wherever you get your podcasts from, you should see some links through to ways in which you can access more training and teaching Bible resources. I tend to put more structured, formal discipleship-like training courses, like my recent one on preparing sermons. I tend to put those on other platforms like LinkedIn or Patreon. Now, if you're not seeing active links wherever you get your podcasts from, it's a very changing podcast world out there with big players like Spotify and Apple Podcasts coming in. And some of them are now trying to sort of control the situation a little bit by closing off active links where you can click through to other websites from them. And that's their prerogative. You know, at the end of the day, that's who you're choosing to listen to. But if you're not seeing those active links and you want to connect or even support this ministry financially, 
then you will find active links in the place where the podcast is hosted, where it's always there on thebibleproject.buzzsprite.com. And in there, you'll find those links and ways in which you can connect to further Bible teaching, but also you'll find a transcript of every single episode of all of these podcasts. And everything I do produce is free, copyright free in the public domain for you to use in whatever way for your personal time of study or in the preparation of Bible teaching material for others. Please take it and use it with my and I trust the Lord's blessing. But thank you so much for joining with me. So with that all said, I'll just say bye for now and I'll see you right back here tomorrow, I trust. It'll be tomorrow for me. It'll be whatever day it is for you. You decide to listen to the next episode of the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.